Hello, and I hope you're interested in hearing something a little bit different than what you're used to hearing on this channel. As you can hear, I'm turning the pages of a real tangible book. In this case, it is the Sisters of Battle Codex that was recently released uh, with the Sisters of Battle Army. I think the actual codex is out now for purchase, but this one I got with the Sisters of Battle Army set. And unlike the Warhammer stories that I read on Monday and that I post on Wednesday, I'm going to be just reading this one, this, this codex, not through, not just verbatim from what it says here, but kind of picking and, and going through what I find interesting, maybe injecting some of my thoughts here and there, and I'm not going to be doing it in a super clean way. What I mean is, I don't mean that in, a, in terms of foul language, I mean... If I screw up or I read a word incorrectly or I have to clear my throat or something, I'm going to try and cut out the most egregious things that are just a complete botching of something. But I'm going to continue on and I might laugh at my mistakes. I hope to and so that you can feel fine laughing at me when I screw up. Um, but you'll see what I mean as I go along here. All right. So. Right here in the, the opening, well, there's a page ago, we have a massive scene, just a huge war scene of the Sisters of Battle. Uh, da, 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 da. I'm not sure which order this is. I think Eben Chalice, maybe, given the, the armor, the standard black, white, and red. And they're fighting Tau. We have a scene in the background of a giant burning citadel with uh, bones, a whole bunch of uh, skeletal figures. I don't know if there's just a procession of the damned. Uh, we see a Repentia over here on the far side. Oh, a trio of them, actually, now that I turn this into the light. A penitent engine in the background, some cherubim in the sky, some seraphim, one with a, a power sword and a plasma pistol. Um, I don't know the Tau name stuff, so I, I see a drone flying by. I know, I know that, but there's something on the far upper left. I want to say it's a farsight thing, but I bet I'm totally wrong there. We have some of the, the regular Tau troops down here, and it looks like the sisters are just wading through them and just not really having much of a, a fight against these things, just slaughtering the Tau. In the background here, I'm noticing this. It looks like Saint uh, Celestine back there, maybe. Given the scope, she looks huge, so I'm not sure what that's about. Okay, then we turn to the next page, and we begin with a quote from a woman who I have no idea how to pronounce her last name. is Junith Eurita, Eurita, with flamer, bolter, and melta, do we purge our unclean enemies? With power armor, do we turn aside their cruelest blows? With doctrine and with strategy do we win our battles. Yet it is with faith, sisters, and faith alone that we shall conquer this sinful galaxy. Warriors of the Faith The sisters of the Adeptus Sororitas go to battle clad in impenetrable conviction and armed with righteous fury. They are the militant arm of the Ecclesiarchy and the spiritual soldiers of the Imperium, sworn to eradicate the enemies of the God Emperor. Now... 
I believe I did read this somewhere that the Sisters of Battle, the Adeptus Sororitas, are um, inspired in no small way by the fish speakers of the Dune universe. They were featured prominently in God Emperor of Dune and less so in the following books. Uh, and they are uh, Leto, the tyrant, the god emperor, the worm, uh, his his own personal army, and they're all female. I believe 100% so. There may have been some males in some function, but I don't think so. All right, continuing on. The Adeptus Sororitas are the spiritual descendants of the warrior sect known as the Daughters of the Emperor, and are known throughout the Imperium as being the most devout of all the gods' emperor soldiers. Sometimes known as the Sisterhood or the Sisters of Battle, they are as uncompromising in warfare are as uncompromising in warfare as they are effective. They fight in the name of the Imperial Creed the faith to which all of humanity must adhere, seeking out and eradicating those who would threaten the purity of mankind and the sanctity of the emperor's domain. Their primary charge is to wage wars of faith against those who, though, uh, against whose very existence is in danger. The wretched heretic, the unsanctioned psyker, and the abominable mutant. Yet they also fight to purge the galaxy of Xenos armies that pose a threat to their holy territories, chanting massed prayers as they eradicate the enemies of the god emperor. So they are, as that says, fanatical servants of the, the god emperor, and they are here to make sure that people are in line. They are the, 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 the police. They're not so much the strong arm of the law, but they are by far the most devout. Before the Adeptus Sororitas even reach the foe, macro loudhailers on low-orbiting craft project bellowed hymnals into the upper atmosphere, booming calls for repentance echo down over cities and continents, and declarations of damnation reverberate into the heart of enemy territory. The sound of roaring engines, whirling blades, and chanting sisters is soon added to the din as the sororitas advance with righteous fervor. I have a, I, I can picture that very well in my head, just being outside, you're going about your day, and just here comes the emperor's fury. And it is coming hard and fast and with blades and fire, and you are just fucked. There's just no better way to put it. You're just royally screwed. This isn't this isn't like the I'm trying to think of a, a way to compare the the Astartes to 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 the Sororitas because the Astartes are more just it's like a shotgun blast to the side of the head. It's they're going to come in, they're going to stomp your door down and put the gun to your head and pull the trigger and that's it. And then they're going to go on their way. But the Sororitas, before they even get to the house, they're going to just fill you with overbearing terror and a sense that you have screwed up. You knew that you screwed up. You knew that you were following the path of darkness. You knew that you were a heretic. And now here we are to make that more bloody clear, to pull out that darkness from you and show it to you in all of its gruesome glory. So before they even show up to the house, 
you're hearing them coming. You're hearing hymnals being just blasted from the heavens. It, it would sound like the end of times. And, and for you, it would be if, if the, they were coming to visit your, pan, your planet in, in this mean, in, in this fashion. You'd hear hymnals. You would, you'd probably see just gouts of fire shooting across the sky. You'd see uh, seraphim flying about. You'd see cherubim just waving their censers of, of incense and, and holy ash and whatever else they're putting through the air. And you're just, oh, crap. I'm so screwed. Yes, you are. There's no running from the hills. There's there's no... It, you're just... It's not just the shotgun to the head. Just, bop, here we go. Let's. It's clinical work like the Adeptus Astartes, like I imagine them doing. The, the Adeptus Sororitas, they want you to know that you screwed up. And they want you to repent before you you die it's kind of like um uh, something that i've read or heard about in old time public executions it wasn't enough or no this is more like um um the gestapos in um uh, soviet russia where they had the I don't think stop was not the right word. The gulags. There we go. That's what I wanted. That's the word I wanted. How the gulags, how the, the state police would haul you off. They wanted a confession. They wanted you to confess. Even if you had nothing to say and, and you felt that you were not an heir, they wanted that confession from you. You were going to the gulag whether you liked it or not. That was just, that was reality. That's just what, what was going to happen. But to add just insult to injury, they wanted you to to confess and say that you had done this this crime against the state. And that's what the Adeptus Sororitas are here. They're not going to s- stick around and ask for that that explanation. They're, they're not going to hear it out. They're just going to come in and say, you have screwed up, whether you admit it or not, and now, now you're done. All right, let's jump forward. Talks about the exorcist missiles uh, arc towards the foe, scarring the sky with streaks of uh, black smoke before erupting into balls of holy fire on impact. All right. Uh, jumping forward a little bit, the god emperor's servants, the sisters of the Adeptus Sororitas, are given their initial training through the Scola Progenium, where the Imperium's elite warriors and officers are produced, taken in as orphans. And I've wondered about that. Just pausing there, three, four words into that sentence. I've read that on the wiki, and I'm, I'm reading that again here. Is that the case with every single one of them are there no parents that are that are glad for their their daughters to go off and become a sister of battle i mean i i believe in listening to some of luton's videos that the astartes on some planets when when a child is seen as being a possible candidate i thought it was seen as a a, a wondrous thing i mean your son is being chosen to become a demigod, basically, and uh, one of the most elite warriors in the entire universe. And so, of course, that's seen as just absolutely amazing beyond anything else, assuming you know of them. I imagine there are some planets, some feral planets, where they just don't even know what's going on. But for the most part, from what I understand, the, the planets that do know what's going on, they're overjoyed i mean mothers on their knees weeping in praise and just I could not be happier i mean imagine the the parents on the day of the draft imagine joe burrow 
his parents when he gets drafted first round in, in the virtual draft this year. Imagine that times a hundred, times a times a thousand, times ten thousand. Your son is being drafted into the most elite, prestigious military arm that has ever existed. It's the Navy SEALs, it's the Delta Force, it's the paratroopers all rolled into one, and you're becoming pretty much immortal, aside from having your head hacked off by some green skin or blasted through by a, a Tau rail cannon or, or whatever, and cleaved in, into to pieces by some chaos warrior. You're out there doing God's work. You are becoming a, a I don't know. I was about to say a son of God, but those are the the that that's Rebute Gulliman and and the um the Primarch. So you're a son of a son of God. You're you're a grandson of God, I guess. So I, I'm I, I'm 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 curious here if, if if the Adeptus Sororitas are they all? Sorry about the bumping there. If they're all orphans, taken in as orphans, they are indoctrinated indoctrinated into unquestioning love for the Emperor. I just. I don't know. I just for the numbers that there are, and I understand that the War, Warhammer scales. Everything is ramped up to the nth degree, and we're talking not millions, but and not billions, not M or B, but T, trillions of people, trillions of lives. I mean, there's thousands or a thousand psychers, a thousand plus psychers sacrificed every single day to the Emperor just to keep his his essence alive. So I'm not doubting it's possible, not in the least. I'm just wondering if there are any cases where they are not orphans. Is is it possible for a non-orphan? Could somebody want to go into the skull of Perginium to, to become a sister of battle? Is that I, I know that you want to get them, the, the girls as young as possible so that you have as much time to indoctrinate them and, and get them on the path of believing the emperor, knowing the emperor is the most important vital figure in the universe, but is, has has a has a parent ever offered their child for that? Has has a homeless woman ever said, "I can't care for my girl here. Please take her." Has anything like that ever happened? I don't know. The vast majority of such wards go on to serve in the Adeptus uh, Terra, but those spiritual and physical metal proves those whose spiritual and medical uh, metal proves strong enough are supplied to the ecclesiarchy for service in the Adeptus Sororitas. The Adeptus Sororitas is but one part of the ecclesiarchy, and where cardinals, missionaries, and preachers are tasked with spreading and maintaining the faith of the Imperium, the sisterhood is charged solely with maintaining its sanctity. These are the keepers of the purity, and I think that is absolutely 100% fitting for a all-female army to do. That, I mean... Thinking in a, 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 an at-home sense, who is it that is keeping the home nice and warm? Who is it that you go to when you scrape your knee as a child? It's usually not your dad. In in a typical uh, uh, nuclear nuclear family, you 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 imagine that being mom. A, a picture be uh, leave it to to Cleaver Beaver going up to his mom. He's, he falls off. I don't know his bike. And Eddie Haskell is is is, is uh, ribbing him. He's gonna go to his mom and say, "Hey, mom, Eddie's being a jerk." It's not dad. Dad's there to say, "Well, you know what? You better tell him to piss off." Or I, I don't think that what 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 is Beaver's dad's name? I don't remember. Mister Cleaver. Anyways, 
it's it's the mothers that that keep the home that they want to keep it tidy and, and clean and they they want it to be homey they want it to be it, they want to make it home so this that it's a, a female army that is there to keep the purity and the sanctity of the uh as it, how is it worded here again uh, the sisterhood is charged solely with maintaining its sanctity that that i think makes perfect sense and i'm going to look up i mean i know just generally in the context of this sentence what sanctity means but what is the definition of sanctity sank uh, to oh i need to have internet on for that to work let's see sancti s a n c t i t y sanctity definition the state or quality of being holy, sacred, or uh, saint, saintly. The sacred, the site of the tomb was a place of sanctity for the ancient Egyptians. Okay. Yeah. So they are that, they're doing that, maintaining the sanctity of the uh, ecclesiarchy at large. As such, they do not concern themselves with converting the denizens of the rediscovered worlds. Yeah. So they're not there to, to convert you. They're there to wipe you out if you're not already converted. You get your shit together or we'll kill you. And it's not for us to help you get your shit together. This is <laughs> this is the, the cruelest of the mothers. Um, or with giving sermons to warn the masses against the temptations of heresy. Instead, they carry out the sacred duty of annihilating those whose faithlessness has placed them beyond the hope of redemption. This is not the kind of mom that you want. When you have fallen in with the wrong crowd you want mom to come up and say hey you know let's get your life back on track let's stop hanging out with those those bad kids and, and let's get you in with a with a better crowd this mom these moms they're just gonna shoot you dead and then burn your body and then forget that your ashes were ever a thing that and, and, and on top of that pour some holy water on it so that the ground can be uh, consecrated you don't this is not the mom you want this is not the kind of mom you want uh this is not to say that the sororitas are any less pious than other members of the ecclesiarchy when not on the battlefield they spend their time in devotion praying to the saints of the imperium for guidance led by their canonists but these acts of worship carry over to their martial training and practices as well. To a sister of battle, proper maintenance of her war gear is as vital as proper uh, recitation of vows and catechisms physical conditioning goes hand in hand with spiritual conditioning for they learn that a soul is best protected by the body in which it is housed combat drills are carried out with the same devotion as the most sacred ritual and when on the battlefield the sisters intone hymns that serve as both foundations of faith and mantras of violence so when I read that, I'm thinking of some of the things, or I'm reminded by some of the things that I hear UFC fighters talk about. I'm a, I'm a big fan of mixed martial arts, and so I could talk not nearly to the length of that subject as somebody like Joe Rogan could, but I can have a pretty good conversation with you about somebody like Khabib Nagagomedov or Daniel Cormier or Donald Cerrone or my wife and I's favorite fighter, Rose Namajunas, or Holly Holm, or the greatness that was Ronda Rousey and the sadness that was her downfall and how, whatever. I, I, I'm i not even going to get into that. I'm just saying that I've heard some of these fighters talk about how if you want to have 
the best results in the octagon, you've got to treat your body the best that you can. You got to be putting the right fuels into it. You got to be giving yourself the right food. You got to be eating the right things. You got to be doing the right mental practices. You, some of them see uh, mindfulness coaches. Some of them meditate. They're doing various things to keep their mind, their body, and physical being all in accordance with each other. One of my favorite fighters, Tony Ferguson, is he does all those things, but in a very weird way. He is one wacky dude, that's for damn sure. But watching him fight is a is is a joy. And this uh, May 9th, I didn't mean for this to turn into a fight promotion by any means, but May 9th, he and Justin Gaethje are going to, that's going to be a good one. All right, so continuing on, what do we got here next? When the sororitas go to war, it is not only to exterminate the impure, but to re-sanctify the territories through which the taint of heresy has spread. I'm going to pause there after that sentence. That's interesting to me because it's not just eradication. It kind of ties back to what I said about these are not the kind of moms that you want because they're going to burn you and then turn you at uh, dump holy water on your ashes, which I didn't realize how correct I was in saying that. I was just kind of making that up, pulling that out of my butt, as I want to say. But this sounds exactly right. It's using the mom analogy again, or metaphor. I always get the use of those two mixed up. But anyways, it's the the house is tainted. It's evil. It's not just we need to empty it out of all the bad things and then move on. It's let's empty it out of all the bad things and then cleanse it so that this is usable again. Which, the reason I'm pointing to the whole mom thing is because I'm, I've am i done a fair bit of research into mythology. And I really like myths and stories and how they have tied, they tie people to, to time and place. And, and they are what get us from one day to, a ne- to the next. And there are symbols and and things that we see in stories, caves being a place of rebirth and fire being a thing of cleansing and sword being a means to an end and dragons being the thing that has what you want, uh, an adversary. I've watched some multiple hundreds of videos of professors and psychologists talking about these things. I've read multiple books by Carl Jung. I'm familiar with but have not read uh, the, the Hero of a Thousand Faces. So I'm not super well-versed in mythology, but I'm very aware, and it's something that I'm quite interested in. So when I see things like this sentence here, it it makes me think of what the feminine does. Something that you'll learn about me if you listen to more of my stories and the things that I write, and, and just if I, if I turn this into a thing, reading the codex in this manner, is that I see most everything as a portal, a portal to the other side. Now, what is the other side? I don't exactly know. The aether, the the beyond, the intangible, it certainly is that. In the war in the Warhammer universe, it could be seen as the warp, but that's not exactly accurate for for everything because the warp is it's only ever portrayed as something evil, a place of just horrible vileness. All the worst depravity, it's where the, the chaos gods live and reign supreme. But there are there's a place of goodness as well. 
I once had the idea or shared the idea, it wasn't my idea, I shared the idea of ideas being orphans. And ideas want attention. They want attention just like anything else wants, and I, it wants attention. And when you give the attention to an idea, the idea to drink alcohol, you are paying mind to that orphan and you are giving it residence in you. When you pay mind to going out on a walk, when you instead want to lay in bed and be depressed, you are giving attention to that idea orphan that says, let's go out on a walk, let's do something other than mope and be miserable. The reason I'm pointing to all this is because I want to tie in as much as I can and where I see it fit, my knowledge, as limited as it is, of mythology and story and how stories tie into so many other stories and there are recurring symbols. So when I hear this or when I read this about the sororitas, the women the, the strongest portrayal of women that I know of in any fictional universe. I'm not saying that they are the strongest portrayal of women in, in all fictional universes. I Let me be clear. They are the strongest portrayal that I know of as a group, not as an individual. I could probably pull up individuals that are stronger. You want to say Wonder Woman or things like that. Sure, 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 sure. But I'm talking about as a whole, as a group. I don't know of any other that is as staunch in their beliefs. And so if you view the Adeptus Sororitas as I do, as the feminine aspect of, of the feminine pulled to an absolute extreme, the, 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 the nth degree, then it makes perfect sense to then pull that extremeness down and view it in terms of women that you might have known. And you can see some of the behaviors that these that the that the Adeptus Sororitas take in I I can see it in, in my wife. She she's very much the one that wants to have the house nice and clean and, and tidy. Not that I don't, and that's not to say that I don't clean. I just did the laundry today. I just did a fair bunch, a bit of uh, cleaning the dishes. I um, I spray down the 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 bathtub the other day, and then she scrubbed it out. Um, so it's it's a sharing of of responsibilities. But I would say that she is definitely the one that cares more about keeping the home tidy and nice and in in a livable space. If a planet has been overrun by foul Xenos or filthy orcs, or disgusting heretical mutants, it makes absolute perfect sense that it's the Adeptus Sororitas that not only come in and purge them from that planet, but then cleanse it so that it can be used again. This is an assault the earth type thing, where let's just eradicate this planet of all habitation and all life, and then just burn it to the ground and salt the ground and then say that no one can ever live here again. Let's make it, let, let's reincorporate it into, in, into the Imperium. Now, I don't think that that task falls to the Adeptus Sororitas too much, but they are definitely clearly, as it says right here, not, not only to exterminate the Imperium, but to re-sanctify the territories through which the taint of heresy has spread. All right, continuing on. They often advance into a war zone using mobile battle chapels or by dropping colossal invasion cathedrums from orbit. 
burning braziers roar atop these forward bases of operation, while torrents of blessed water are sent pouring from the mouths of adamantine gargoyles high up in the spires. The Adeptus Rortus then establish an expanding area of hallowed ground. So we're not going to start fighting until we have consecrated this ground and, and have a base of operations. That's that makes perfect sense. Imagine you go on a vacation and I can I could absolutely see my wife doing this because I've seen her do this. The first thing that she wants to do when we get to a new place, if we're at an Airbnb, not that we've done that recently, but we have done it in the past a fair number of times, is scope everything out. Where it where what does it look like? It are are where are the exits? What is this place? What does it have? What 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 things do we have access to? Is there a stove here? Do we have washer and dryer to clean our clothes that maybe have gotten kind of funky during the drive here or or the flight here? Uh, wh- where's where's the exit to, to, to the outside? Is there a pool? Where's the fridge? Okay, everything needs to be in its place and good, and let's make sure it's all good to go. So that makes perfect sense. The Adeptus Sortis, they don't just come crashing in. And I don't think the Adeptus Astartes give a shit about that. They just come in, they're going to smash your door down, they're going to shoot you in the face, and they're not going to care about any of that other stuff. That's for other people to handle, if they even could... They're not even bothered with any of that stuff. The Adeptus Sororitas, they're not going to start work until where they're working from is pure and holy. We're we're not going to go and purify this land if where we're starting our operation from is unpure. So we got to start there. Expanding hallowed ground into in which every last enemy has been cut down and every last profane icon and heretical symbol has been cast into the flames. This cleansing may take hours, days, or months of bloody battle during which time defensible shrines to the during which time defensible shrines to the god emperor are established and more mobile fortresses are brought rumbling into onto the front lines. When the last battlefield is a smolder, smoldering plain of cinders and the enemy has been reduced to scattered piles of corpses, the majority of the sisters move on. Their main task is to cleanse and consecrate the god emperor's domain, and only small contingents are left behind to crush any subsequent uprisings. To the Adeptus Orotus, this method of warfare is the ultimate sacrifice to him. The Imperium is his body, humanity his blood, and by their hand both are p- kept, uh, both are kept pure. Uh, I really like the wording in some of this stuff. It's fantastic. The Imperial Creed, the Horus Heresy constituted. I'm on page eight now. If you're following along, the Horus Heresy constituted the greatest act of betrayal in human history. It saw the galaxy riven by apocalyptic strife and resulted in the emperor of mankind being struck down and placed upon the golden throne. Amidst the tumult, cults were founded that worshipped him as a god, and their power grew in the wake of the heresy. The faithless were purged. I've listened to, I have not read, actually I read False Gods, the second book in the entire Horus Heresy series, but I've listened to a few others. I've listened to the initial trilogy, that sets up how the Horus Heresy all got underway, which I thought was fantastic. Those books were fantastic reads, and it really shows Horus as somebody that you can kind of go, man, I, I can see how he fell to darkness. And it's not just this simple, I mean, those books are huge. They're, they're massive books. It's not just a simple, oh, he just woke up on the wrong side of bed one day and decided to try and throw, overthrow everything, which is kind of how I assumed it was. He's just, oh, he just had a uh, some bad 
coffee, some bad recaf, and just I was was kind of a spoiled brat about it and wanted to overthrow the emperor. No, that's that's not at all how things went. It's way more involved than that. Um, but during that time, I didn't realize I was completely unaware until I read False Gods and and then listened to a few other books and I've read some Garrow books or listened to some Garrow books and have done a fair bit of research into the Warhammer universe all in the past oh, eight months now at this point. Not not tons, but a, a fair bit. I got a, I got a good grasp on how things are going and, and why things are the way they are. I realize now I, I came to realize that the emperor didn't want to be worshipped as a god. He might even not want it now, but is unable to really stop it from happening. It's it's kind of grown beyond his control at this point. You know, being that he's basically dead at this this point. Um, but things, cults, or 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 sects that that worshipped him at the time were seen as not good. That was the last thing that that they wanted that, that the Imperium wanted at the time. Now that's very different. Uh, Tolts were founded and worshipped him as a god, and their power grew in the wake of the heresy. The faithless were purged. The Imperial Creed is the one and only official religion of the Imperium of Man. There are various interpretations of the creed across the... Oh, I see, I was unaware of that. Okay. Hmm. There are various interpretations of the creed across the hundreds of thousands of worlds upon which it is practiced, but its core tenet is unchangeable. Namely, that the emperor is the all-powerful god of mankind. Small differences in dogma and rites of worship from one planet to another are tolerated, but any significant deviance in belief is considered heresy and is punishable by death. I see. They might be talking about things like the Adeptus Mechanicus believing that um, the emperor is the physical incarnation of the Omnissiah. So, I... I I assume that they're talking about that kind of an idea where the emperor is still God, but how you get to that end, again, like it just spelled out here, minor differences are allowed, but no significant deviations. Uh, Even before his internment on the Golden Throne, the emperor was revered as a god by many members of the Imperium. The leadership and vision he demonstrated during the years of the Great Crusade became the stuff of a legend, and on some of the more regressive planets he rediscovered he was seen as a uh, deific being with superhuman servants who descended from the skies on chariots winged with fires. That's interesting to me, because there is stuff in Earth's history that talks about that very kind of thing. If you're familiar with the work of Graham Hancock and his research into megalithic structures, there are symbols that show up across the world. One symbol are these fish-type men that have these strange bags, and it's shown up in uh, many places around the world. It's kind of like the beginning of... um, Oh, what's that that movie? The alien movie. It's not alien, but kind of is uh, Prometheus, where they they find the symbol in different caves in different places. So it's 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 kind of like that. Um, the 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 story of the flood, which is featured in the Bible, that's in a hundred different countries, as uh, I believe. The story of a great flood coming, uh, and some sort of cataclysmic event happening. Uh, da, 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 da. So this kind of thing is is true to life. 
His boundless will and adamantine charisma saw tribes and primitive humans bowing down in rapturous awe wherever he went. And though he himself denied being a god, he was seen as such by many of the peoples he reunited under his reign. Then the Warmaster Horus and fully half of the Space Marine Legions pledged themselves to the dark gods of chaos. The civil war that followed from this act of heresy brought the Imperium to the brink of annihilation, with the traitors eventually assaulting the, Imperium, the Imperial Palace on Terra. The Horus heresy was brought to an end when the Emperor slew his former Warmaster, but he himself was mortally injured and was placed amidst the life-sustaining machineries of the Golden Throne. This arcane device projected the Emperor's mind into the warp, ensuring that his undying presence was still felt across the breadth of the domain he had created. That part is interesting to me because um, the I believe it's the Astronomicon is what allows people to travel through the warp. It, 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 without that, they wouldn't be able to know where they were. It would just be off adrift. In the wake of the Emperor's ultimate sacrifice, there was a great upsurge in adoration and worship of him. But with this fervor, there also came fear, for if the War Master, the Emperor's most trusted servant, could fall to heresy, then who in the Imperium could be trusted to remain faithful? A good question. Myriad prophets appeared across the galaxy, each professing a different version of the Emperor's holy will and decrying those who challenged their words as traitors to humanity. The most willful proselytizers drew cults of fanatical followers to their cause and with strength of numbers were able to absorb or outright annihilate those sects with fewer adherents. Power vacuum happens time and time again. You hear about things like Saddam Hussein, for example, gets killed and then here comes the Taliban. Now, I probably don't have that quite right, but I've heard of stories where one gang leader gets taken out and here come 20 other guys trying to vie for that position. That's not surprising. If, uh, I mean, just imagine if a company like Amazon were to just go away, something happens, some horrendous thing comes about that just wipes them out. You can imagine that some other companies are going to try and fill that void. Alibaba's would go international. I, I, I don't know. Maybe they're trying to, um, but nobody has the kind of presence in North America and maybe Europe as well. I don't I don't know. I would imagine so that Amazon does. I mean, Amazon, I mean, I live in Seattle, so it's probably to the nth degree here. Yes, I know I use that phrase a lot, but it, it's applicable and whenever I use it, I think. Um, I see a prime truck every I, I see more prime trucks than I do cops around, which. That's another subject for another time, and not on these videos. Anyways, eventually, one occult emerged supreme, the Temple of the Savior Emperor. Though initially founded on Terra, its myriad devotees held power across the galaxy in and in every strata of imperial society. So from, the, from manufactorum overseers to lofty counselors on high-ranking military officers. Two high-ranking military officers. Those organizations that did not cleave to the temple of the Savior Emperor's central teachings faced crippling admonitions. Planetary governors who spurred, spurned the order's strictures found vital supplies of food and material being diverted from their worlds, while those amongst the teeming masses without sufficient belief were given industrial duties with the highest possible rates of mortality or were simply killed outright as heretics. So this is still in the early days. 
probably the 31st millennium, they're not just going out and straight up murdering everyone. They're just giving people really horrible jobs. Oh, you're going to go to the, the the ice mining on the asteroids where they're complete, they're continually careening into each other. Why don't you use the robots? Well, we need you there. We, we need a special human touch. Oh, look, he died. And so did all the other people that happened to believe the same thing that he did. Interesting. Interesting that. By the 32nd millennium, Almost two-thirds of the Imperium's population were followers of the Temple of the Savior Emperor. With the order becoming increasingly ubiquitous, its tenets were recognized as the official religion of the Imperium, and it was given the title of Adeptus Ministorum. A couple... I didn't realize that right there. The the title of Adeptus was is a big deal. I, re, I listened to the a story called... Oh, what's... Uh, don't remember what it's called. I think it was an audio drama. It was really well done. Uh, Warhammer Black Library audio drama. Ugh, completely blanking on the name of it. But it's about the Adeptus Mechanicum becoming part of getting that recognition. And they they wanted that recognition and they were not being given it. And they were they they basically brought a, a what are the what are the massive walking tanks called the. Um, a titan, I think. Not a knight. Bigger than a knight. Where you, I think it's a titan. Um, came crashing in, and basically the 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 gal that was there uh, uh, as a emissary from from Mars said, y- "You either do this, or we blast you. We don't want to blast you. Just give us this recognition." All right, back to it. Title of Adeptus Ministorum. A couple of centuries after that, the head of the Ministorum, the Ecclesiarch Venerus II, became the high, a, high, a High Lord of Terra, this position becoming one that would forevermore steer the course of humanity. Only the cold Mechanicus of the Adeptus Astartes chapters and the Adeptus Astartes chapters were allowed to openly deviate from the Ministorum's teachings. I see. Their traditions regarding the emperor differed significantly from uh, imperial doctrine, but historical ties to the emperor himself, himself, as well as the crucial role uh, the tech priests and space marines played in mankind's survival, led to an acceptance of this dissimilarity. I wonder what that was. I'm, I'm sure it's talked about somewhere, but I don't know what those differences are. The differences were. I think at this point in time, in the 42nd millennium things are pretty much this all on they're they're all reading from the same book drinking from the same cup all right continuing on adeptus ministorum since its foundation the adeptus ministorum commonly known as the ecclesiarchy has been the body through which the imperial creed is disseminated and is practiced monitored Legions of preachers, confessors, missionaries, and cardinals oversee the veneration given the emperor by the unaccountable masses of, of uh, excuse me, given the emperor by the uncountable masses of humanity. Ever vigilant, they ensure that acts of worship are in line with the core tenet of the imperial creed, and that zeal is given an appropriate outlet. Huh. I, w- I wonder what they mean exactly by that. <clears throat> Interesting. I think there are, there are a lot of things that churches do right 
And there are a lot of things that they do less than right. And there are some things that they do straight up incorrect, in my opinion. I grew up in the Christian church, Protestant Christian church. I've been to Catholic services, but I grew up in in a Protestant Christian church. And my upbringing was one of such that I got to see a wide range of what it meant to be a Christian. And it made me question a lot of things as as a little kid. I think I was just born to question things and ask why and wonder stuff, not really just go with the flow. But I really wondered stuff. One one thing that I, I recall wondering, because I, it still amuses me to this day that a, that a child would wonder this, was these preachers out there each week are, are saying that they would they would die for for God and they, oh they, they they would put their life on the line for Jesus. And I and I always imagined, well, not always, but often would imagine a, a gunman coming in and walking up on stage, putting a pistol or some sort of weapon to the preacher's head and said, say, say it right now in front of your congregation. If you don't, if, if or e- either deny God right now or I, I, I put a bullet in your head. And I just wondered what would happen. What, 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 what would what would the preacher say? What would would he would he say? You know, yes, I denounce God, and I I want to see my my wife and kids another day. And <laughs> I thought so. And then the guy walks off. Or no, I don't denounce him. And bang. And then what does the congregation do? I don't know. I just thought that was interesting. The reason I'm bringing this up is because my mom and dad differed in their views greatly. My mom was of the mindset that going to the type of church that you might see on tv where people are falling over in the aisles and singing and dancing and speaking in tongues and oh they're just losing their minds was a was the was the right way to to do things my dad was more of the old school kind of we we sit in pews and we read from the 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 bible and we sing some eh, not hymns sometimes a hymn but he he liked a a little more contemporary stuff as well Uh, slightly uh, modern, but not not too modern. Not, let's, let's, let's not change things too much. So they compromised by going to one church one week and then the other church the next week. And it's back and forth, back and forth, and back and forth. And I was told on a regular basis, it's the same thing. And I'm just going, it's not the same thing. I mean, this is clearly not the same thing. This is so not the same thing. And it's like being told that... Um, one of those little smart cars and um, a giant SWAT mobile are both cars. Like, yeah, I, I, I guess so. Their means of transportation, sure, they're shaped vaguely like boxes and they have wheels on them, but they are not the same thing. One will roll over if you look at it sideways and the other one will blast right through your house without even realizing they hit something. I mean, they're, they're so much not the same thing. <laughs> so the reason I'm talking about this is because there's something that I think that the Catholic Church does... <sighs> I hesitate to say, well, I think they have something there, but I I also think that it could be done in a better way. I don't know how, what that better way is, so don't ask me to change what the Catholic Church has been doing for some hundreds of years. But I think confession is a really good thing. The Protestant Church does not have something like confession. The best that they have is during communion, you're supposed to think back on what you did during the past month or whatever. Some churches do communion each week. Some just do it every couple of weeks. Some it's once a month. I've seen all versions of this. Not all of the versions, but many versions of it. 
you as a practitioner in the Protestant church do not have a a dogmatic way, a practiced way of unburdening yourself. So when I read here that the 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 cardinals and the the the, the confessors and the preachers they are there through the ecclesiarchy. The imperials, billions upon billions of citizens are taught the dangers of, um, oh, a little bit before that, ever vigilant. They ensure that acts of worship are in line with the core tenet of the imperial creed and that zeal is given an appropriate outlet. That just made me think it's not quite the same thing, but there are appropriate ways to worship. And I agree with that. I agree that there are appropriate ways to do different things. There are appropriate way, appropriate, excuse me, appropriate ways to eat breakfast. There are appropriate ways to use the restroom. There are appropriate ways to shower. There, There's an appropriate way to do everything. There are some ways are better than others. Now, you might be wondering, well, how is there an appropriate way to eat breakfast? Well, I'll tell you what not an appropriate way is, or uh, I, I don't know if appropriate is the correct word, but it's certainly not a an efficient way to eat breakfast. You you, let's say you ha- you're having cereal. You're having some sh- sort of shredded wheat this morning. You go over and you take one piece of cereal from your cabinet. You close the cabinet. You go over. You take a bowl. You put the piece of cereal in the bowl. You pour a little bit of splash of milk on there. And then you eat that. And then you swallow it. And then you get back up. And you go into the cabinet. And you get a piece of cereal. And you repeat that again and again and again about, oh, I don't know how many pieces of cereal do you usually put in a bowl. 50, 100, whatever. I guess that depends on the size of cereal. Let's say you're doing with Cheerios. You do that a couple hundred times. That's an extremely inefficient way to eat Cheerios. It's not a good way to do that. That is, I would say, not the appropriate way to eat Cheerios. The appropriate way is you fill your bowl, you put some milk on top of it, and you have at it. There you go. Cereal is supposed to be eaten easily and quickly. It's just a a meal that you can have practically on the go. You can hold the bowl as you're doing other things, moving around the house and having a conversation. So there are appropriate ways to worship. I don't think that laughing uncontrollably in the aisles of a church is an appropriate way to worship. What are you doing? What what does that show? What does that help? I've heard people, oh, I'm filled with the, the joy of God. My mom encouraged us to speak in tongues. I don't think that was appropriate. I really don't. I don't think that's the correct way to show your love and devotion to the creator of mankind. So I think that the preachers here, if they saw somebody doing something like, I don't know, throwing their children off of a balcony, they might go, well, what's that about? Oh, I'm showing my love for for the God emperor. Given that it's 40K, that might actually be okay. I don't know, but I imagine the preacher might go, "Mm, yeah, that's good and all, and that kid probably deserved it, so good on you, but before you throw any more kids off this bridge, let's have a chat about exactly what they did. So maybe not the best example, but um, they just... There are proper ways to do things, and these folks make sure that those ways are done. Through the ecclesiarchy, back to the the codex here, the imperium's billions upon billions of citizens are taught the dangers of uh, deviance and that unchecked faithlessness is more rampant and deadly than any disease. Activities that could even potentially be seen as heretical are 
uh, I'm going to butcher this word, anathematized, 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 failure to report to the ministerium neighbors, co-workers, and family members who have lapsed in their faith is seen as tantamount to heresy. So that's back to the gulags that I was talking about earlier. If you don't report, if you, well, I wasn't talking about this, but in the time of gulags, in China is seeing this now with their social score meter. I was watching something not that long ago about this lady, how she's given social points by the government because she reports on her neighbors, putting out the trash like, oh yes, I gave my neighbor across the way a couple of points because I saw them taking out the trash and they even picked up some trash that was on the ground. So that was good on them. But then the other neighbors, they didn't shake, they take out their trash on time. So they got negative points. Oh baby, that is spooky land right there. Oh, that is... I, I get why I was going to say a company, but it's not a company. I can understand why a government, why a a, um, a power would want to do that. I get it. I get it. I, I, at least I get some of the reasons. I, I can wrap my head around it, but man, I don't think that's the way to do it. I do not think the way that's the, how you do it. And I think that the U.S., and other countries might follow that practice if social shaming doesn't come back. I think that people have got to be able to speak openly and honestly to other people. I had this encounter with a woman where I work at a retail store where her son was being an absolute piece of excrement. I mean, this kid was a shit. He was running around, smacking merchandise, grabbing drinks out of the the drink cooler. He was refusing to listen to his mother, not that she was even trying that hard. She was the definition of a Karen. And I mean, she proved that when after I did what I did, which I'll reveal in a moment, I want to speak to your manager. (laughs) Okay, Karen, give, give me a moment, you lousy individual that can't rein in your child. So this kid, he grabs a Gatorade. It's his mom is. Well, we will you give it back? Let's give it back. And the kid, I mean, this is not how you talk to the kid in this moment. You're way beyond that point, lady. So I just walk over. I take their Gatorade out of his hand and I put it back in the freezer. And kid and mom just both look at me stunned for a moment. Like you can do that? Oh my god! I think the mom was just pissed off that someone had showed her. You can do this. It's a child. He's four or five years old. You're three times his size. You just impose your will on him. It's that simple. He can't do anything about it. I I can put my head on his hand and hold him still, and there's literally nothing he can do about it. I'm not even all that big of a guy. I'm 5'6 and 135 pounds after I've eaten. (laughs) And this child will do nothing to me absolutely nothing. I'm not afraid of him. But you, lady, you're terrified of your child. You are the absolute reverse of somebody that would be in the Adeptus, uh, the Adeptus Sororitas. So Karen here, she calls for the, 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 the my manager. My manager, okay, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. Just telling her what she wants to hear so that we can just get her out of the store. How did I get on this? Oh, that's right. I was talking about how we need to have social shaming back to to a degree. I'm not saying that you go out and, and make fun of people just and, and are just heckling them just for no good reason. But I definitely think that it's it's a mutual thing. It's a back and forth. If we lived in a society a society 
where that lady knew that if her child came in and was this piece of garbage that he was being in the store, and she knew that there was a chance that he would do that, and knew that if it was seen by other people that it would be spoken about and said something would be said about it. I mean, there were multiple customers had come up to I mean, this was not just a five-minute thing. This was going on for 15 minutes before I had just, I was having this whole internal dialogue. What do I do here? This is nonsense. How, how do I, this has got to stop. Customers were coming up and going, boy, that's, that's something, huh? And I mean, and being kind of vocal about it and increasingly so as this went on. I mean, this is a hardware store. This kind of stuff doesn't happen. I'm mostly dealing with surly seamen and, and regular people, not your soccer mom Karens. And so this was so out of the ordinary. I mean, that's, this is the only time in the four years that I've worked there that this kind of thing has happened. I mean, we children are an extreme rarity in that store, extreme rarity. I mean, I'll see a kid a day, maybe, on average, one. This isn't like a grocery store or Toys R Us when they're still in business where you're just seeing kid with every person that comes in the door practically. So this was not the norm. It'd be like, I mean, somebody going into a library where you expect people to be quiet and it's, you're just going to be, I'm going to put on my one band man busker show over here. No, you're not. That's not what you do here. You would expect people to say, uh, sir, you you got to take the band outside. This is a library. That's not what you do here. And in a hardware store, you don't have a kid running around grabbing screws and just being a, a piece of shit. That's not what you do. And so I had to put an end to it. As I, I, that's how I saw my position. I said, this can't go on. It's making other customers uncomfortable. They don't want to be here. Nobody wants to shop and look for the things that they need when a kid is running by them and smacking them in the legs and grabbing things off the shelves and throwing stuff around. This, is, this has got to stop. If the mom had known that she lived in a society, a society where something would be said, I guarantee you that she would have put a stop to it much sooner. But we live in an accepting society where that's just fine. Just let it happen. Just let it go. Oh, it's not. And look, look, I can hear some people already saying, oh, you don't know what her day has been like. You don't know that. You're right. I don't. But I do know that this was early in the morning. So the late in the day excuse, that's out the window. This was before 10 a.m. I think it was before 9 a.m. There's no excuse for that kind of thing to be going on. Five minutes and you're trying to wrangle them in? Okay, fine, I understand it. But 15, 20, a quarter, of an, a quarter to a third of an hour? No, absolutely not. So my point to all of this is that reporting on your neighbors, bad. Having some sort of form of public shaming, good. I do think that people need to be able to speak openly and honestly and just have a, a, a dialogue with each other. All right, back to the codex. The Ecclesiarchy's presence throughout the Imperium is nigh inescapable. On the most populous and strategically important worlds, towering cathedrums stand in places of prominence. They're stained Armor glass windows bearing illuminated depictions of saintly figures that can be seen from low orbit. Sparsely inhabited death worlds and asteroidal mining stations have smaller shrines and temples from which the operatives of the ecclesiarchy can oversee their charges. That's interesting. So basically, every planet, big or small, anything, has some place where you can go to worship. You can you can pay your dues to to the god emperor. Uh, da 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 da. Operatives of the ecclesiarchy can oversee their charges and watch for signs of unorthodoxy. 
acts of blasphemy are dealt with by the ministerium with ruthless finality. Confessions are procured. Just like I was talking about the gulags, you get that confession, you say what you did. I don't know why that's important. And I remember there was a, a psychologist talking about this, and I don't know if he had come up with something either. It's a very odd thing. It's not just punishing the person for what they've done. Let, let's say you have camera and 500 witnesses. It's getting the person to say that they did it as well. I don't know what that is. I think, man, I'm not sure. I think it has to do with I mean, in the Bible, it starts out with, and it, there's an episode of um, the Midnight Gospel. You might be wondering, what, where are you going here, buddy? Okay. I told you I'm decently read in, in things of mythology and part of mythology, one of the greatest works of mythology and one of the greatest pieces of, of literature that, that the world has is the Bible. You can deny that. That's fine. But it is so ingrained in Every society, basically, in some way or another. I mean, certainly in the Western world, absolutely unquestionably in all of North America and South America, you cannot go to a country that doesn't have something that talks about the Christian God in some way. You will not go to any country from Canada all the way down to Chile that doesn't have somebody in it that knows something about the Bible. I mean, that's, it's just, and, and probably that's true for basically everywhere on the planet, aside from places deep in the Amazon. But then we're talking about much of Brazil, where, which is a hugely Catholic country. So you get my point. The Bible begins with, in the beginning was the word and the word was God. Okay. Why am I mentioning this? Well, as I was saying in the midnight gospel, in the, I want to say it's the third episode, the one where Clancy goes, the Midnight Gospel is a show on Netflix, if you're wondering. It's the one where Clancy goes to, he means to be going to an ice cream world to be getting a guy some ice cream, but he ends up going to a water world with this guy with has got a fishbowl forehead, who is voiced by Damien Eccles, who is one of the, uh, um, I'm blanking on the, the West... Westminster, not Westminster, the, the, the three uh, boys that were convicted of murder, but then they were let off because there was not conclusive ed- evidence. Okay, why, why am I talking about this? Well, back here, back to the codex, confessions are procured. Okay, I'm stuck on those three words. I think what it is, is because words make reality. When you say a thing, it's why it's so important to set your intention for things. That's why you've probably heard, oh, writing something down, writing your goals down. There is power in words. There is extreme power in words. And so I think that when you're getting a confession from somebody, let's say it's the truth let's start with the the truth the the honest the, what meshes with reality there was 500 people that saw this clown make a balloon animal they were all there they were they watched it happen and he says that he he admits to making the balloon animal and yes there's video footage of it there, there i mean it's unquestionable that the balloon that that, that the clown made the balloon animal okay i I said that the the clown admitted that he made it and then he's he's there and then the the police say you weren't allowed to make a monkey 
and he says, oh, I, I didn't make a monkey. I, I made a giraffe. And they go, you made a monkey. We've got you on 500 cameras. Everybody with cell phone recording you. There's cameras in the stadium. It's on countless sources on the internet now. We know that you made a monkey. We, we, you cannot deny this. We need you to confess to it. Okay. Yeah, I made a monkey. Why do you want the clown to admit that he made a monkey? And this is such a ridiculous example. But why do you want the clown to admit that he made the monkey? Because you need reality to match up. All right. Now taking the example of the people that didn't do the thing. In many cases, from what I understand, reading the Gulag Archipelago, this happened in Russia where they pull somebody aside. We, we know that you talked poorly about the state. I, I didn't. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. And we're going to take you off to the gulags. We need you. If, if you if you admit to this, we'll, we might give you a, a lesser sentence, but you have to admit to it. I, I didn't talk negative. Now, let's say that they actually didn't. They didn't say anything. They did not do that on on the July 4th. Well, I don't know why I picked Independence Day. April 10th. That, that That's a more generic date. I didn't, I, we, we have you on record and they, he knows, this person knows that he didn't do that because the, it was from one, it was at one thirty PM. The, no, that's not possible. There was a show I was just watching where it starts with a Nazi interrogation thing where this is happening and they're getting the guy to say something. Oh, piss. What was it? I feel like it was an HBO show. If anybody knows what this was and it, it, it starts out with a, an interrogation and the Nazi interrogator is talking to the guy and they said, you killed your wife. And he said, no, I, I didn't. And he says, yes, you're so-and-so. And he goes, I'm, that's not even me. I, I didn't do that. Well, I, it says right here, are you saying that the that the state is a, is a, a liar? Well, no, I'm not saying that, but, but I didn't do this. They twist your words. Why in that instance where the person didn't do the thing, they pulled Dell. Dell, we, we've got you on record as as murdering your wife. No, I didn't. We, we know that you did. So you can sit here and deny it or you you can agree with us. I didn't murder. We, we know that you did it. It was at it was at 5 p.m. on on the 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 the, the 4th of May. I, I was recording a thing talking about I was reading from uh, the the Adeptus Sororitas Codex for, for a, a YouTube thing. Well, we know that you murdered your wife. My wife was on a run. I didn't do that. Well, we need you to say it. And if, if you agree, then your sentence will be lessened. Why do they want that to happen? That's the question. And I'm coming back to it. I think the reason is that they're trying to bend reality. They want the course of history to go in a particular direction, and they want you to help them with that. They want you to be a co-conspirator in their endeavor to literally warp reality. And like I started this whole thing with, words are magic. They, I don't know if I said that, but they are. They are the most mad, they might be the most magical thing that we have. Damien Eccles in that Midnight uh, Gospel, he talks about how the oral tradition, and I never heard of it talked about this way, is, isn't is just a passing down of a thing. It is the passing of a person that is primed to send that message to somebody that is then ready to receive that message. That's where the true magic happens. And that is one of the most powerful things that you can possibly have. I mean, if you have ever been in the throes of love, 
and you know that the other person loves you too, or you're kind of on the fence about it, you're not 100% sure, but you're 99.9999 sure, once you make that admission, it's you know maybe a month or two into your dating, and you, you say after a wonderful night, I love you. And then there's that pause. And then they say, I love you right back. I mean, what's, I I don't know of anything more magical than that. I mean, that, that is, that is a a thing that brings about new life. That's a thing that changes worlds that, that changes the shape of, of history for you and that person, even in that moment, but oftentimes for much longer than that moment. So if you get somebody to agree with your version of reality, your warped, twisted, wrong version, then they are playing that game with you. And if you get enough people to agree with that, you can do some really scary stuff, folks. All right, back to the Codex. Confessions are procured. Yeah, damn right they are. Conspirators named and the guilty parties executed, often in, often in the most horrific and public manner possible. The fear imparted by such displays is a necessary tool for protecting the populace at large for rampant turpitude. Turpitude. To the minister of such a purge, it is a sacred duty and is conducted by many amongst the ecclesiarchy without joy or or malice. It's just a job. It's just what they got to do. All right. And on that note, I'm going to call it good. That's about an hour plus here. Excuse me. Moving the codex. Let me know what you think of this. I know there was a lot of slipping up on words and kind of mumbling, uh, on getting getting words mumble marble marble Um, but if you enjoyed what I did here, if you liked my reading of it, let me know. If you liked my little commentary bits there, let me know because boy. I could do this for hours and hours and hours. And if you like this, then phew, we might have a thing going here, folks, because this is really easy for me to do. Like I said, I could just do this for, for hours. All right. Let me know what you think. Think, think. <laughs> I'll talk to you soon. Bye.